What's up, Dialed fam? Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Strength Training for Cyclists podcast by Dialed Health. My name is Derek Thiel. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And today we're going to talk about all things huge rides. And not just huge rides, but your biggest ride. We are moving toward the DH Vert Challenge later in the year, and I really want to give you the best tips possible to prepare, not only mentally, but physically with nutrition, hydration, your training leading up to it. And I just did the biggest ride of my life two days ago. It was a double century on the road bike with over 15K of climbing. <laughs> and we had a Dial Fan member who'd Eberested last week. His name is David Harris, so I had to get him on the line after seeing his Strava. He actually reached out with a couple photos uh, after we had or- originally talked about him training for this. And I was like, what would be better than just giving you a bunch of facts of salt tablet milligrams and carbohydrate intake and yada yada would be real life experience, not only from myself, but also from a Dialed Fam member. So that's what you can plan on hearing today in the episode. But of course, we're gonna start out with a quote to get you fired up and motivated, not only while you're listening to this, but to carry into the rest of the week, your training, and just to make sure you start moving forward and absolutely crush it. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. With the Tour de France starting this week, I thought it was only right to give this quote to Eddie Merckx, who is widely renowned to be the greatest road cyclist of all time. He basically dominated throughout the 60s and 70s, if you're not aware. I'm assuming mountain bikers only listening to this might not know who he is because you can't watch even the Tour de France today in 2021 without Eddie Merckx being mentioned, which is rightfully so because as I looked into his history and learned more about him myself, you realize he just won everything. Uh, 11 Grand Tours. It was five Tour de France wins, five Tours of Italy, a Tour of Spain. He's won all five monuments, three world championships, the hour record, which is basically just the farthest you can ride on a track by yourself in an hour, which sounds absolutely painful. Uh, and basically every other one-day race, I guess with the exception of the Paris Tours. So this one definitely is well-deserved for this guy, especially with all the the, the rad racing going on. And this had to come from a racer. And even for my mountain bikers listening, the Enduro World Series starting, uh, and even the, world, the Downhill World Cup happened recently, the XC World Cup racing, it has been so good with content lately. Uh, so it's coming from a racer. And I absolutely love this one. He's got a list of them. If you just type in Eddie Merck's quotes, but this one really hit home for me here it goes don't buy upgrades ride upgrades (laughs) i gotta say that again don't buy upgrades ride upgrades how how quality is that now i'm lucky now personally to have quality equipment and i've had quality equipment for a while however when I got into road biking, my first two bikes were hand-me-downs, the first one of which was terrifying to ride because it had been sitting and getting sweated on on an indoor trainer for like five years before I had it. It was too big, just absolutely sketchy. My next bike was another hand-me-down uh, from my brother, which was a cycle cross bike with a triple chain ring and road tires on it. And then the bike after that was a hand-me-down from a buddy, which was a first-generation Venge, which was just, you know, 23C tires, one bottle cage because the first-gen DI2 shifting had the battery pack attached to the frame. And so it was just like not, it was just flexy, I guess fast and aero, but just a rough, wild like ride. Not not something that you want to just sit on for hours and hours and hours, but that's what I did. And I plugged away at it and I never let those things stop me from focusing on my performance because I knew I had so much 
I, I, and I still do, of course, I'm not trying to talk like I'm some legit road pro or anything like that. Cause that is not, not the case at all, but I am a lot more experienced as a road cyclist. I feel confident with my abilities just in general riding and whatever you want to call it, day-to-day stuff. But, but it's crazy how, um, how much people get hung up on the tech side of it, feeling like it's holding them back when there's such obvious physical changes they can make. And that was something that was really apparent to me, just knowing, you know, what I do for work and how much the emphasis should come back on your body, especially when you don't have the resources to change your your bike. And a lot of people are in an opposite situation. Maybe they don't have um, maybe they don't feel like they can take advantage of their health enough, but they have the financial resources to, to get their bike. And there's also the tech side of it. It is fun to get new stuff. And it's like, if you can have the best, why wouldn't you? I would never blame someone for that. But when someone genuinely feels like they don't, can't do something because their equipment, uh, I mean, there are some exceptions to the rule. Like you're not going to drop into a, a world cup downhill track on like a hardtail, which <laughs> that's how I started riding North Star, by the way, on a hardtail with mechanical four-inch rotors, just blowing myself up every single run. So I even did it on my mountain bike before I got into um, racing and, and, and the sponsorships, which have really even supported me to this day. I've basically been flipping bikes and had supportive sponsors since um, I really went pro with downhill. Uh, so yeah, it's just a good reminder for anybody because although you can upgrade uh, and that's something that I don't think is a bad idea to do you focusing on your body and getting the most out of that it's gonna do by far more than any shaving of weight uh, suspension upgrade or tuning will ever do I promise you just stretching for a lot of you guys the just stretching alone or if you're not doing any strength training just some activation work oh my gosh turning on your muscles what do you think is better turning up your rebound or turning on your muscles Think about it that way. What do you think is better, going to tubeless road tires or having like no cramps in your low back <laughs> when you ride? Really think about it here. And I think that's like really what Eddie Merckx is getting at. He's like, don't buy upgrades, ride upgrades. Go freaking ride your bike, get better. And now, thankfully, we're smart enough, you know, to not be uh, smoking cigarettes to open up our lungs before stages like they did back in the day. And we now know, guess what? If you also want to get faster, foam roll a little bit. <laughs> do your strength training. <laughs> And I'm sure he would have said that in specifics um, if uh, if they knew it back then, but now we do. So uh, take that into your training this week and let it fuel you. Go write up some grades. Before we talk all things suffering, I have a couple announcements for the Dialed Fam. The first one being about the guided no equipment core workout number five that just launched to dialedhealth.com. This is a 35-minute bodyweight workout, and I promise you, it is the most time-efficient way to strength train ever. <laughs> I just did it. It's an incredible workout. It actually starts with three prep rounds. You mobilize your hips, spine, and shoulders, and you activate your core to get it prepped for the three following strength rounds, which are going to develop muscles in your abs, your shoulder blades, and your hips. Of course, we finish with a stretch. We always mix in strength and mobility, and it's so cool because you can either follow along in real time with the guided video, and we literally do it together. Like I do this workout, no stops, no pauses. We just rock through it. Or you can use the solo routine if you do want to take it step by step. You have an individual video for all of your movements, and then you can track your reps if you want to on the website and save them there. Uh, and it's a cool way to add them into your calendar 
to just do them as your primary workouts and get a couple in a week or to add them to current programs. In fact, David, who we'll talk to, used a combination of that. And it's really made it easy for me to customize people's programs because when someone wants to do a full program but also wants to include more mobility or foam rolling, we have those options too. And it's easy to add them their way. Or they say, hey, I want to use the kettlebell a little bit more and we could use a kettlebell guided workout. So go check those out if you haven't already. The new core workout is rad. I love all of them. And uh, of course, they're my babies. But I'll tell you, as I program them and write them, um, I'm always surprised like how they feel after. It's like some workouts, uh, no pun intended, so well that as I'm doing it, and you'll hear me on the guided videos, in my head, I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> Literally, like this is exactly what I was hoping for. In fact, I have a little hint for you guys. I got my reps wrong on one number or on one uh, exercise on this routine. And it was so hard. <laughs> and I admit it at the end of the video. It was so hard, though. It, at first, I was like, what did I do? What did I do? And then I realized what happened. You know, anyways, you'll experience that with me. And I think it's rad. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the kit sizing swap. If you ordered an LEL road kit, you can actually go to the forum thread. And I sent a newsletter out about it. But we have a kit sizing swap forum thread for members who might want to try different sizes. So go and check that out if you're curious. I know we have a couple people looking for a small or a large or a medium. So you can swap with them, get connected that way. And I just want to throw it out there in case that was you. Uh, the last thing, you guys, the Dialed Health Vert Challenge. Everything you're hearing about uh, in regards to these rides, uh, my ride alone was prep for the Everesting effort that I'm going to do in the last week of September. We have the in-person challenge. We have the virtual challenge. Any style of bike, any terrain, go to dialedhealth.com and click on the tab across the top of the website, and you will be able to go and see all the information about that. We have proceeds going back to Coach Katie uh, to help her with her recovery from that crash that she had recently, and uh, it's just going to be a really cool way to push yourself and just expand your comfort zone. That's the real goal, and that's why everyone can be involved. Um, and it's not about the competition of who does the most. It's about you going out and PRing your ride. So with that being said, we have to talk about the real suffering that's going to happen. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's not going to feel great <laughs> until it's over. And then you'll get the doms like I'm experiencing now. Um, and then you'll feel maybe, maybe better in a week. Okay. Let's talk about this ride. Now I gotta give you a disclaimer. I started pitting out and I had to turn the AC on. And by pitting out, I mean just sweating profusely. <laughs> I am in my twins room at home right now. This is not normally where I record, but my family left and I was doing my recovery ride. Schedule was a little bit weird today and it just happened to work out this way. So hopefully that extra bit of white noise doesn't uh, distract you at all. As I tell you exactly about the hardest ride, the longest ride, the most climbing I've ever done in one day. So to give you a little idea of how I prepped for it or the biggest rides I had leading up to it, I, I've done a few century rides. And the most recent one I did was down in LA. I did, it was like 105 miles, uh, just over 12,000 feet of climbing. And it was, it was just a solid ride. And I think the big thing about that ride that gave me confidence for this was the intensity. Like I didn't, I, I don't want to say I didn't hold back or pace myself, but I didn't go super easy. And toward the end of the day, I knew I had more in the tank and especially the last climb, thanks to my buddy Tanner, 
uh, who was down there with me for that ride also, we really hammered up it. And it was another like 2,000 foot ascent. And so I knew that if I dialed back the intensity, I would definitely keep my longevity up. Um, and and I also recovery after that ride was solid. Like I just walked around town and I'm not going to lie. I was tired. I was hungry and I wanted to chill, but I wasn't destroyed. And that really showed me that I could spend a lot more time on the bike, especially again, if I dial back the intensity. Um, and before that, you know, I've done a few century rides and it's gotten to the point where I survived the century ride. I did a couple other ones that felt decent, but I was hammered. And then I finally worked up to the one I just mentioned. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, I've had full days on the mountain bike before. It's just so different than sitting in the saddle and pedaling the whole time. Uh, because especially trail bike, enduro style riding, you're on and off the bike, you're standing so much more, you're kind of sitting around a lot more. There's not as much like movement. And when you have 200 miles, like it's all about movement. You're trying, you don't want to stop when you do, when you have to, because you know, it's just eating at your time. And that's one thing I'll say about this ride. We started in South Lake Tahoe and we knew what we were getting into. But when I looked at the ride profile, I definitely underestimated the amount of descending we would do for the first half and the amount of climbing we'd have to do in the second half. I also underestimated the real heat we'd be experiencing because the the time of day and when we started the majority of our climbing um, lined up perfectly with the hottest part of the day, which was like 2 to 4 p.m., uh, and especially in the mountains, because luckily it starts out cool in the morning and it cools off faster in the afternoon than it does in the valley. But still, I mean, the most demoralizing day, part of the day came with that second half. Uh, and I'll talk more detail uh, about, about that more in detail coming up. But I wanted to basically say, I think we descended 10,000 feet in the first hundred miles and we climbed like 5,000 feet. So we still climbed, but we had 15,000 on tap. And the first 100 miles just was like e like easy. And I know that's gonna annoy some people saying the hunt first 100 miles was easy, but it was just cool temperatures. Uh, we started out with four guys. We were kind of pace lining stuff. We were very uh, controlled with our efforts. Beautiful views. We climbed Donner Summit, which I've always wanted to do. In fact, if you go to my Instagram, it might still be up there. Um, but and actually you could go to the riding highlights reel. It'll be at the end of it. And there's a lot of them. Sorry. <laughs> but if you want to see it, if you don't know what Donner Summit is, it's just, it's one of those climbs and another part of Tahoe where you're like, it can't get more beautiful than this. It just can't like, there's multiple parts on the lake loop when you ride around Lake Tahoe that you, there's no way it could get better. It could be just as good, but there's no way it could be better. Don't tell me the view gets better. I will if if that's true my brain won't be able to handle it i don't even want to see it i'll die on the spot it's just too it's too rad and that is something that helped out toward the end of the day just keeping morale high and everything but yeah like i said the first 100 miles mostly descending a lot of pace lining cool temps super on top of nutrition you know stomachs didn't feel weird at all um, and that's pretty much how the ride went. And like, not only that, but the roads were so smooth, so much smoother than I anticipated because I had only driven out to Gray Eagle, which is super far north. It's actually like north above Downeyville where I rode the previous weekend. I had no idea I'd be going right by Downeyville. I mean, that's so deep in the freaking Sierras that um, when we passed the shuttle drop off, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's really where we are? Cause I did like a glance at the map 
Um, but I was focused on the big macro view. I wasn't focused on every little lake and route and yada yada. So basically when I realized that, it put in perspective of how big this ride was. Because at that point I could have ridden home and it would have been easier than riding back to South Lake, uh, which is insanity because I live so, like two hour drive from Downeyville. So um, just to put it in perspective for you, it was it was really an endeavor. <laughs> and so basically uh, we get out we do the first 100 miles and then we show up to gray eagle which is the furthest point north before we start to loop it back and so like i said the roads out were buttery smooth wasn't anticipating that but when we turned and created our little we had like a lollipop loop out there honestly that's when it just got so hard like we stopped at a gas a, a convenience store and started eating weird foods about that point this is like mile 110 and we started create, you know, getting salt, like salami and chips. And it was just this weird concoction of like soda and cookies and all, like all that, all that stuff. Uh, my buddy Tanner was eating a bell pepper and a beef stick. You know, like you just get to the point where you just kind of want to start eating all this random stuff and you have that palate fatigue and your stomach's starting to feel weird. And so we eat like that and then we head out on the worst climb of the day the most demoralizing part of the ride that i talked about earlier basically we had a two and a half k vert climb it was almost 95 degrees i think it was like between nine it was like 92 93 uh we're on an open highway with zero shade and when i say zero shade you guys i am not exaggerating zero shade for the entire climb uh, i could go back and look and see how long it lasted honestly i still have like uh, PTSD from it. I don't really want to see the stats, but I'll just tell you it was the hottest part of the day. It was so slow. It would cars would pass, blowing up dust. There were these. The road was not like I'm not gonna say it was super rough, but it was like these mountain highways where there's like a notch in the road uh, every I don't know 40, 50 feet. <laughs> and so you know when you're driving and it's like dun 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 dun. It was like that, but you know you're on your little road bike tires, so. It, and in fact, I got to say this, Tanner, I don't know if he'll be happy with me sharing this. He had a stomach infection. Uh, this is the guy who like first committed to the ride with, who I did the SoCal ride with. Uh, he's also a Dowd fan member, About by the way, one of the most OG Dowd fan members. We know each other from the downhill racing days. So he got a stomach virus and <laughs> I just got to say it like it is. He had diarrhea all week, <laughs> like all week. And Friday, two days before the ride, he finally went to the doctor and got some medicine to, to help him out. And they offered him an IV. He said no, definitely should have taken it. Uh, and still decided to go on this ride, but started having the craziest cramps. Like as soon as the heat came up, uh, as soon as we really started getting that salt depletion, like you could visually see it, all of our kits were covered in salt. Uh, he started cramping like crazy. And literally on this climb, he kind of started falling off the back and then he fully leg locked and fell over and apparently he said he's in the hot sun laying on his back still clipped in with the bike like upside down above him and he's like i was so wrecked and i knew i needed food <laughs> so i just grabbed a banana out of my uh, bar bag while i was still clipped in on my back and ate it on the ground before i got up <laughs> he said he lay there for like five minutes and no one came by like not one car because <laughs> that's what i will say like i'll say you know uh, cars were blowing up dust here and there but it was really minimal traffic for the majority of the ride which was great because a lot of the highways we were on didn't honestly have awesome shoulders 
but the traffic was pretty minimal. And yeah, the fact he laid there for five minutes and not a soul came by <laughs> kind of puts in perspective how deep we were. And so uh, from there on, we limped back into the, the valley of Sierraville, which ends the lollipop loop. But to get there, we had to do another big climb. And it was just, I don't want to say it was demoralizing, but I think it was before that climb. Uh, before we finally finished this loop um, and had a really good descent, we had another stop. And I had beef jerky and a chocolate chip cookie and a Coke. <laughs> and I was burping up beef jerky literally on the whole next like 1,500 foot climb. And it was a more mellow gradient. We had some patches of shade. We actually got some cloud cover, which was incredible. But we were all just feeling it. We're all feeling sick. I just felt like I had to puke. It was the only time during the ride where my stomach felt genuinely uncomfortable. Like I was I was worried because I, I didn't know how long it was going to last. And it actually had let up once we finished the big descent. It's like I just needed to recover or something because we went straight from eating into this ride. And I will say in hindsight, I wouldn't do beef jerky again, even though it's packed. It's got some uh, protein, obviously, which is great. Uh, but it's and it's packed with the sodium. It's just like too dense. I think I, I think it is just honestly too dense because I had the salami earlier, which still has a lot of sodium in it. And it I didn't have that feeling. But if you really compare the two, salami is so much less dense and there's so much more water packed into it than the beef jerky. So I would recommend salami over beef jerky. I would do the salami again. It was good. Honestly, if I could have had a salami and cheese sandwich, that would have been oh legendary that is another thing too we because we were watching the clock and time we never made a stop for sandwiches even though we wanted to uh because we were in these like weird towns there wasn't just a subway right there and we would have had to go off the beaten path like five miles to the closest one and so it just it was too difficult and we got to that point where like let's just cram food down our face and keep it moving but if i could have had a just a sandwich a solid uh, hit me with a foot long turkey salami. Oh my gosh, that would have been, I'm drooling thinking about it now because it would have helped so much. Um, so that was a big regret. Uh, no sandwich and then eating beef jerky, no bueno. But when we finally got to the top of the climb where we all wanted to puke, there was this awesome downhill. It was five miles at least of descending, dropped a couple thousand feet back in the valley. It got super hot again, but these all the corners were big and long enough to where you basically didn't have to touch your brakes so we're rolling like 35 40 miles an hour for five miles it was so cool we limped it back into sierraville it's like almost 4 p.m it was so hot i mean it was i know it was over 95 in sierraville because even in Truckee it got up to like 97 which apparently is some record high for this time of year yada yada um, I don't know if ever, I want to say it's been hotter than that up there, but definitely not too much because that is so hot for the mountains. And the most ironic thing, you guys, the most ironic thing, we planned this ride in the mountains for one, for the scenery. And I do like to climb, like I mentioned, it was prep for the DH Vert challenge, but a big bonus uh, because the ride profile was so tough was that it'd be cooler temperatures in the summer. Well, it was cooler in the valley that day. I don't know how pressure systems work. I had some random dude trying to explain it to me up there. I was like cross-eyed. Like I was like, dude, I don't, I was like, I don't care why this is happening. I just, it's just happening. Okay. <laughs> like No part of you explaining this is going to help it be make it, be make it better. 
I mean, that's literally how I felt at the time. Like, you know how you are when you're just cross-eyed? Your manners go out the window. And uh, not completely. He was actually kind of a funny dude. But, yeah, that was one thing. I was like, dude, I don't care. It's just, it's happening, and this is not what we hoped for. <laughs> so that was just super ironic, man. Like, the hottest day in the mountains, we, we chose to do this up there. So, anyways, we get back into town, and we plan on going back to this uh, convenience store. But... Um, Stefan, who was the other guy who rode with us, who no Instagram, Stefan. Sorry, dude, I couldn't tag you and all that stuff. Uh, easily the the strongest rider I think I've ever ridden with. There was another time I did a lake loop with him around Lake Tahoe last year, and he just it was like the Stefan train, just pulling the crew like crazy. And that he had started doing that as we got back into the valley. Um, uh, up in this mountain valley of Sierraville, like we were starting to jump on his wheel more and more and more. So yeah, he was definitely the MVP of the ride. And he had pointed out this uh, cafe that had like everything, sandwiches, smoothies, and uh, coffee and all this stuff. And it was crazy. But even though that was the sandwich opportunity, our stomachs were so jacked up. I ended up getting, uh, we all got smoothies. I got an iced coffee and it was the best thing I could have had. The combo of the ice cold coffee, I had a strawberry smoothie, which was basically just this sugar syrup mix with blended with ice. Uh, it, it was awesome. I mean, it must have been a 600 calories of just pure carbs. <laughs> it was incredible. And then this was even better. We were start, we get back on our bikes after sitting there for like half an hour. Uh, we were outside the whole time in shade, but it was just so brutal with the heat. We're starting to roll up and we knew we had another 3,000 feet to climb just to get back to Tahoe before uh, the extra, or just to get back to Truckee before climbing over Brockway Summit, which would take us back to the lake. Brockway Summit's another, I think it's another at least 1,000 feet. Um, and we knew that would be fully exposed in the sun. Um, I've ridden that quite a bit on my mountain bike, and there was just no escaping it. So we're so hot. We know what's coming ahead of us. It's like almost, it's after 4 p.m. now. And so the clock is ticking. We still have, we're 140 miles in and lo and, oh, like, lo and behold, <laughs> uh, basically what we think a mirage is driving towards us is actually this beautiful Tesla and Jonathan Lee, who a lot of you guys will know from Trainer Road and his family rolling up to give us rider support. He had a full cooler full of every type of bubbly water, soda, chips, uh, you know, Topo Chico's Oreos. He had uh, like goose and every gel and salt tablets, and he had bags of ice. Now, I have never done this trick before. In fact, I'm getting thirsty just thinking about this. Let, let's all drink together. Grab yourself a sip of water. Let's hydrate. I'm taking mine right now. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. I swallowed some air, and that burp just happened. Okay. So, I've never done this trick before, but he loaded my ba the back of my jersey up with ice. And when I mean loaded, he probably put like two pounds of ice in the back of my jersey. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. And apparently the real move is to carry pantyhose and you put it in that and then you put it in your jersey. And that is absolutely something I'll be doing when I go on another big hot ride. When you know the temps are gonna be high, uh, to stop at a gas station, I have no shame to pull out the pantyhose and load that sucker up. If I'm under the soda machine with ice, it will. it is so worth it because I went from just being so hot to actually almost like getting like the chills and actually almost shivering um, and kind of like losing my breath because I got so cold, which was the best thing ever. And not only that, but that ice, 
sat on my low back until it melted for probably the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes up the following climb. And then I had wet, cold gear. And when we got somewhat of a breeze, it helped so much, especially when we started hitting more shade. Uh, it was like one of the biggest saviors for the day, if not the savior. In fact, I know it was for Tanner because the 1500 milligram salt tablets completely turned him around, like completely turned him around. When he started getting those in there, um, he ended up just absolutely taking off, which was so sick to see. Um, and for myself, even I, I've never really had salt intake goals on rides. I've gotten very focused with carbohydrate goals. Um, I'm, I'm really aware of my macro ratio. How much fat do I want? How much protein? Obviously, it's mostly carbs, but the longer your ride goes, the more you need that density, the different energy types, the muscle repair from the protein, yada, yada. So, um, it, But the sodium is something I'm not super familiar with, to be honest. Um, I'll take it in knowing I need it. I usually add some straight up sea salt to my bottles. But, um, but I like 1500 milligrams is, is a lot, right? <laughs> so putting that one tablet in my bottle, um, along that ride too, while I had the ice on my back, I just, I genuinely felt more hydrated. I felt better. My stomach felt fuller while I was drinking that. And I ended up doing a second one, um, you know, once we got to that Brockway summit climb after Truckee that I was talking about, and I think all of us just felt better. And we basically hit another gas station stop once we rolled back into town. Um, I think at this point, the morale was pretty high because we just got back into Truckee and the unknown of those mountain highways was kind of behind us. Because although I had been out there, I actually got married in Gray Eagle, which was that most northern point we were talking about. Uh, where we ate the salami and all the weird stuff. <laughs> um, I got married there. So I, I've driven around on those roads before and I've ridden my mountain bike up there a couple times. Um, there's good stuff like Mills Peak people have heard of. Um, obviously it's near the Downeyville area, but you just didn't know how like, big the climbs were. Uh, none of us had the ride loaded up on our GPS because the directions were so easy. Uh, and so we weren't like watching the profile that closely. And so it's like when you get back on the familiar terrain, even when you know there's these big climbs coming up, when you know what they are, like the, the, uh, the certainty of that, even though it's daunting, is almost better than not knowing. Because we definitely hit some rollers that we didn't expect uh, on those mountain roads behind us that that were, yeah, pretty demoralizing. Um, and little did I know, the second most demoralizing point of the day was right around the corner because once we filled up in Truckee um, and I just had an absolute assortment of food, I, I put a Pop-Tart in my bar bag, uh, which later really came in handy. Uh, but we came up that Brockway Summit climb and it, it absolutely wrecked us. You know, this was 175 miles in by the time we got to the top. That climb took us right over 13K and it was exposed in the sun. The last bit of it, I don't know what the percentage was, uh, but I was out of gears and I just was forced to push a gear harder than I wanted to. And I was also bummed because my power meter, and maybe it was a good thing in hindsight, but my power meter disconnected at that gas station. Uh, so as I'm going, and I was really careful about keeping my power all day between like two, like 200 and like 240, 230, kind of that range. Um, but I know I was doing, I, I just know I was doing 260, 270, up to 300 up this climb and out of the saddle a ton. And it was just, it was so brutal. We got to the top and it, I think the only thing that kept us going at that point was that it was cooling down. Uh, we started feeling confident about beating the sun and you could see the lake. So we jumped back into, um, jumped back in the drops. We bombed down to the lake. 
we start riding around the lake. It's getting, uh, there's weird stuff happening. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, on that descent, I was kind of hovering my seat a little bit and kind of, uh, you know, aggravated the, uh, the boys, you could say. It had a little bit of a stomach ache. I was just like, it, it was just super uncomfortable. So <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. Like, there's so many weird, random things that happen to you uh, besides just your legs not having the strength because uh, it's crazy. But even today and, and through the recovery, my legs never felt like the factor that was going to prevent me from completing this. It was just general energy levels and wear and tear. Your whole body starts to feel so sore, uh, which is, I, I've never experienced it like that. Um, so we're riding around the lake. It's beautiful. Lots of shade. We're uh, basically just sitting on Stefan's wheel at this point. And we get to one last little stop to fill up the bottles before the last big climb. And this last climb was over a thousand feet, Spooner Summit, takes you from the lake up this little detour to highway 50 and you know it's just we at that point we're cracking just about to crack over 200 miles uh, on a thousand foot climb <laughs> at elevation <laughs> the sun's starting to go down it was just it was so beautiful which helped but also just like what is happening like when i looked at my garmin a couple times i almost didn't believe the numbers i was seeing like that was the most surreal thing i think but we get to the top of this climb. We're separated at this point. We have like one more meet spot. Uh, we turn on the highway, which is this long descent. It's just 40 miles, 45 miles per hour uh, for multiple minutes facing the lake. Uh, and you're going down a highway. <laughs> so it's like a little sketchy feeling. But it was the perfect sunset. Like literally right behind the top of the mountains. It was beautiful. Like uh, I wanted to stop and video it. I was just so hammered. I was going fast. I didn't want to stop, but I ended up right at the bottom before you go through this really cool tunnel and you're back on the, uh, the kind of like the lake drive. We, I got a video if you want to go see it on my Instagram, but that'll show you what the sunset looked like. And it was, it was incredible. If we weren't that cracked, <laughs> it would have been really awesome. But even then, uh, I was talking to Tanner and I'm like, wow, dude, we have, we have another 10 miles still. And we have some rollers we have to get through. And it's at that point, it's obviously getting dark. Thankfully, we had some lights, but Stefan had stopped at this gas station we planned on. And literally, I felt terrible, but we were so over it. We were like, I called him and I was like, bro, we just passed you. We're not stopping. We are getting like the F home. <laughs> like that is just, that's what's, it's just it has to be like that right now. And then Tanner uh, pulled me all the way back. We went through state line. And man, we finally got back to his house after 9 p.m. You guys, we started before 6 a.m. And it was done. Yeah, total ride stats. Uh, I think my Garmin, of course, Garmin's always a little bit less. So we'll go Strava numbers. <laughs> 212 miles, uh, 15,500 feet of climbing, and I think a total of 12 hours of moving time. We actually had an average speed of over 17 miles an hour, <laughs> which it was kind of sick. Um, and really, it couldn't have been much slower if we wanted to, um, I don't know, if we want to complete it in the daytime, which we just barely kind of did. Um, but you know, we, I, I think our, if we had more planned stops and we had a little bit more efficient food stops, if we had some AC at some point if, without the heat, we could have definitely done it faster, but, uh, or cut off total time because I don't think our ride time could have gotten much faster. I just feel like maybe if we had more people pulling or whatever, but 
um, yeah, I think just the, the time spent just kind of in limbo at some of the stops figuring out what we need to eat and everything, uh, definitely was a delay. Um, but I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to Cram Nutrition. These, they're basically like, or like healthy, uh, Uncrustables. Uh, not to say Uncrustables are just plain unhealthy, but you know, Uncrustables, the frozen PB&Js, they are so delicious. I freaking grew up on these things. Cram makes them organic, packed with way more protein. They're just as good, if not better. D so delicious. Oh my gosh, these things are so good. Easy to fit in your pocket on your jersey or your bar bag. And I had two of them early in the day. They're like 420 calories, 430 calories, uh, 20 grams of protein. And when you're out on the ride, and obviously it's packed with carbs and fat, it's just a super balanced food to eat. That was definitely the best thing I think I ingested the whole ride because it sits well in your stomach. It was, it, and it's just so easy to get down. Like you can eat it in a minute and you get all those calories. Um, and so I don't know, that was really impressed by that. I, I'm bummed I didn't bring more of those. I think in the future I'll bring more. And uh, I just got to give them a shout out because they're a local company who just started shipping nationwide. Um, I don't have a discount code for you or anything, but if you go check them out, it's cram with a K uh, and you live in the US and you want to try these things out, I recommend it. Um, I know the owner, it's a, a mother and son that run it and they're, they're super rad. So shout out to you guys. Uh, I think you get the food award <laughs> for that day with the Pop-Tart being the close second though, because the timing of that Pop-Tart toward the end of the ride at our last rest stop. I didn't mention that we ate it, but this was before that last big climb I talked about. It was amazing. Like that, it just, oh my gosh, it was so, so good. It was, it was incredible. Strawberry goodness. Um, so, and, and yeah, it, I gotta say, I was craving strawberries uh, all day. That was, they, that was like the sweet flavor that was the most appealing to me. And I, I don't, I don't know why that is because I eat everything and I love variety, but for whatever reason that day, it seemed like my stomach could handle strawberries. So, uh, including the pop tart, <laughs> after I tell you about the organic PB and J, it's like, <laughs> eat some chemicals, <laughs> but you know, it's balanced and, uh, you got to take the one you can get. Um, that was pretty much the ride you guys, you know, the, the night before I only slept like three and a half hours because just getting up to Tahoe and all that. Um, that next night, I think I got six and a half hours of sleep. I woke up early, got a coffee and had to head home, went straight to the gym so I can get work done. And then I was straight into dad mode. Um, and then I woke up today with the craziest doms, like in my like lower legs, my, my lower calves around my ankles. It's really surprising. Actually, I had this, this crazy knot in my neck. Um, but last night and, and I was getting really stiff last night. So let me, um, make this more chronological for you. Basically, I went into kind of a normal work day yesterday. Wasn't able to slow down too much. Uh, on my feet, got a desk, chasing kids around, kind of the variety. And I was stretching throughout the day. I did a ton of foam rolling, uh, which made me feel better. But toward the end of the day, I really did just start feeling stiff. My whole body started feeling stiff. So I took my son out on a shotgun mountain bike seat ride. It was like five miles. Rode him to a park, stretched while he ran around in the park, and then rode back best move I could have done seriously besides like in combination with the rolling and stretching that little shakeout ride was awesome I felt way better going into the night uh, but that's when my appetite got insane again um, I had Oreos at home I crushed a sleeve of Oreos and then I ate a big bowl of chicken noodle soup like how freaking weird is that is that at like 10 p.m I'm sitting watching Tour de France highlights uh, which was 
bonkers. I mean, watching Sagan get taken out was, oh, it hurt my brain. But I was just eating this chicken noodle soup. And that's when I could tell I was still not only carb deficient, but like sodium deficient. Because the craving I had for that broth was was really wild. I've, I've never had a craving for like broth like that or like salt. Um, and I ate that super late last night and I woke up and I wasn't retaining water. Like I, I still was waking up skinny. Um, so even today, I'm trying to eat more normal, but I can tell my my appetite's just weird. I, I have weird, like, cra- I don't know. It's just like, I'm trying not to get too carried away with food, but I also want to, you know, really replenish what I use because, you know, it's not every day you're going to do something like that. And in fact, I, who knows if I'll do another prep ride for the vert challenge later in this year. I don't, I don't know. We'll see, man. Um, I need to recover before I can think about it. Um, but today... I did do one hour easy spin on the trainer, which was hard the first 30 minutes. And then I got off, did some stretching, chugged a bottle of water, uh, had some more electrolytes, had a gel. And then the last 30, I started feeling better. And literally as I walked off the trainer and did that full hour, I was like, man, that was again, so necessary. And it almost feels weird. It's like, why would I do more work? But I controlled the intensity. It was super low. I just used the trainer road recovery ride. Uh, it was awesome. So just remember, if you go do something insane like that, you have to look at the whole before and after as well. And it's not like I did anything crazy. I, I cannot dedicate my whole life to these rides, as you can see. Still have jobs, still got to drive. You still have all these responsibilities. But you can take these little actions uh, and, and optimize your recovery for you. You know, it's not going to be perfect. You can't just lock yourself in this little cryo chamber and get your pro massage and whatever. Um, and that's okay. Just do what you can. And just remember though, the ride is not over when it's over. It's, it's really not over until you've recovered and you're going to have to be as diligent about that recovery as you were just getting to the end of that ride, even though it's going to feel easy in your mind to like brush it off. Do not, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm two days out from the ride after very proper recovery right now, at least for me, not perfect, but for me, um, you know, prioritizing the spins, prioritizing the rolling, prioritizing the stretching. I did some hip activation this morning before my ride to get my glutes and my hip flexors fired. All I got to say is it is as important because my goal is to have an easy day strength training tomorrow. I'm back on my normal schedule. And then hopefully by Thursday, Friday, get back into a normal intensity for the week. Uh, and we'll see, I might still have to dial it back. Uh, but I know this weekend, I don't plan on doing any big volume. Because uh, I basically did over a week's worth of volume in one day. <laughs> but I will be out on the bike back on my normal schedule. And uh, that's kind of the plan. So that's it, guys. Um, thanks for listening to that. It was a really cool experience to get out. And, and it really did, you know, expand what I feel like I'm capable of. Uh, but, and also gives me a new healthy respect for, for these things you hear about, you know. Um, you know, Unbound XL, <laughs> like 350 mile gravel race. So you hear stuff like that and it still seems insane, um, but it gives you this like healthy respect for it. So uh, anyways, go out, push yourself. Um, if anything, sign up for the DH for a challenge and just schedule it so that you can have something to be accountable for and, and something to train for and kind of look forward to because man, you know, it is a good feeling of accomplishment. Like like you just did something you never did before that, you know, previously probably seemed insane. Um, and I want you to experience that too. So anyways, let's talk to David Harris now about his Eversting effort and really kind of learn from him and his experience. And I got to give him a little shout out too. Yes, he's 54. 
and he did this Everesting effort. And I just throw that in there because I talked to so many people, even in their 30s, who tell me they're too old to do stuff. <laughs> so there's some perspective for you. Check it out. Okay, you ready to do this thing? Bro, it's rock and roll. I feel like my voice is getting back. Ah, I need to do that. Have you seen Anchorman where he does the owl yeah. now brown cow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't base your uh, your your lifestyle or anything on Ron Burgundy as a as a role model. <laughs> that's a fair. Uh, sorry, that's that's my sister-in-law calling me. I'll put my phone on. Do not disturb. Oh, thank you. I actually needed to do that as well. Good call. Okay. Uh, computers on do not disturb. Okay, cool. We're all set. Um, and if we need to take a break or anything, I can always edit it. No sweat. Um, no. But we'll try and roll right through. Yeah. So dialed fam, we have with us a member, David Harris, who just did an Everstein. I, I can't call it an attempt anymore because you accomplished it. And I want to read the ride stats. And then I have some really specific questions for him. And the real goal behind all these questions for you as a dial fan member is to get some advice as far as approaching your dh vert challenge goes because that's coming up and weird things happen when you're on the bike for longer than you've ever been and that's why i think this timing is just incredible so uh, he lives in england and he just did an everesting ride on is it furley beacon david Furl beacon Furl beacon which meant 67 repeats for a total of 29,495 feet. It was a distance total of 111.27 miles. And your moving time was 13 hours, 24 minutes, five seconds. And I always love this stat. You burned almost 8,000 calories, 7,950 calories, which means you get a pass to just send it in any way you want. Uh, which is a real reward after a ride like that. The only problem is, and I just figured this out, is your stomach was probably so torn apart after the day that <laughs> the last thing you wanted was food. How was that? That's my first question for you. Um, Post-riding. Yeah, so I've, I've done a lot of ultra endurance. And, and the one thing I, I know doing ultra endurance riding is, is there's always a point in the day where my, my, my gut's just not interested in having any more food in it. Um, yeah. But I know it happens. And I know that if I can just get through that and get to the other side, then I'm okay. Um, and I, you know, I was eating foods and using supplements that I trust and I've been, had a lot of experience with. Uh, so, you know, I, I went in with a nutrition plan. I went in with some quality nutrition and a few bits of nutrition that weren't quality, but, you know, I know I like, <laughs> and, uh, and that kind of got me through. I have to say, at the end of the event, I was not hungry. Uh, I was just tired, and I just wanted to shower and go to bed. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've done, you know, you go to a century ride, and all you want after a century ride is like to have a burger. But like I say, you ingest so much stuff over such a long period of time that, you know, um, I think if you do that properly, then you don't have that sort of craving at the end for a, like a, you know, a huge steak. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And it probably is a sign that you were fueling properly throughout the ride. So what yeah. was your biggest ride, both in vert and distance, before the Everesting challenge that you so, did? Oh, my, my longest ride was um, a 300 kilometer, which I guess is about 180 miles, which was a circumnavigation of London. 
um, which is just one of those sort of random things. It wasn't an event. It was myself and one of the guys I did the Everest thing with. Um, so that's, that was my longest ride. Uh, my biggest climb I've ever done is Haleakala in Maui, which is a straight 36 mile, you know, sea level to 10,000 feet climb. And that, the that's the biggest climb out there, day. Right? Sorry? I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but the Haleakala is the biggest, that's the biggest climb you can do. That's, right? that's like the longest road climb, you, continuous road climb you can do, I think, that's paved, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but the longest climbing day I've done had, sorry, it's going to be a metric, uh, 5,800 meters. No worries. Um, I just timed it by three. That's fine. <laughs> three. Yeah. So it's probably about 18, 18, 19,000 feet, yeah. which was on a, on an event called the song cold challenge, which is a 10 day ultra endurance event where you're doing maybe 125 miles a day and you're doing an Everest base camp in terms of elevation each day. So you're doing about 15,000 feet of climbing a day and that's for 10 days in a row. And that was on day five. Um, and that was a triple ascent of Vontu. So all three paved roads up Vontu plus a couple of other mountains as well. That's um, incredible. That, that was my most, that was my climbingest day um, until I did Everesting. But that's incredible preparation for an Everesting, it seems like. And so was that, was it basically the next thing that made sense for you challenge-wise? And I know that so many people had began, Everesting got so much hype last year yeah. uh, through the pandemic. And so as that was going on, was that just stirring in your mind of like, this is probably the next thing or what made you decide to do it? Um, we, it was always sort of kind of a plan B because um, I was meant to be doing a, a song cold challenge in uh, at the beginning of June um, and that got postponed and that really and it you know the writing was on the wall for that event pretty much in February you know once yeah. once we were you know back in lockdown and everything was you know kicking off again so um, you know I was I was chatting to my best cycle buddy and I was going you know and we've been talking about Everesting in September after I've done the song call um, and then you know, as the likelihood of that event, you know, decreased and it got postponed until May 2022, then, you know, we started making plans for Everesting with the, with the expectation really that that's really what we were going to end up doing. So because, you know, training for an event like the Song Col, which is just, you know, you know ultra endurance climbing mirrors exactly what you're going to do for an Everesting. Nice. It was very easy just to transpose the training I've done and then just translate that directly into an Everesting event. And, you know, and so I didn't, you know, it, it, cause you know, when you commit to a huge training block and I've been training really since October um, to see it go to waste, you know, just by, you know, go doing a few, few rides and cafe stops, you know, it, it, it doesn't do justice to the effort you put in. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to do something worthwhile. Um, and with with significant travel restrictions still around, that the Everesting became, you know, the best option to to sort of translate that training into some into an end result. I love that. That's so great, and it answers my next question as far as how many uh, how much time did you give yourself to train? But it sounds like from October, yeah, you're training for the event in June, and it gets canceled, and you just yeah. decide to take matters into your own hands. So I mean, the beginning of April. Yeah, we went to do a reconnaissance on the hill. So the three of us who did the Everesting last week, 
Um, one of one of the guys tried to Everest on that last year and got got I think thirty nine repeats into it before he before he retired. Yeah. Um, uh, but myself and and Duncan, my other friend, we went we went and did a reconnaissance on the hill, and we ended up doing a base camp uh, ride. So we did did the half distance, um, and we but we rode it at distance what we considered to be the pace we could ride the whole thing at um and and i think you know if, if we'd have started earlier and i think if i'd have gone into it with a proper nutrition and hydration plan we could have ridden it then so i i think you know six months training would have been perfectly adequate to be honest with you um it's it's just that uh you know um it you know an event like everesting requires planning both for the rider and for any support that you have, you know, just rocking up and just trying to do it uh, without, without adequate planning, uh, you know, it's going to increase your probability of failure, I think. Yeah. Was there any added support that you had that you felt like was really essential to accomplishing it? Yeah. Uh, so um, myself and one of the other guys, we had our partners show up, you know, for a bit of moral support, but also brought along some some fluids and some food. Nice. Um, so, you know, uh, even though we were set up to be pretty much self-sufficient from the end of the day, um, you know, it, it's good to have, you know, someone you can, I won't say talk to, because you tend just to grunt at people once you get to a certain point of the day. But, you know, um, it, it, it's good to be able to sort of just express how you're doing to someone who's not a rider and, and to get some sort of uh, support back. Uh, um, so, and, and I think it helps you, helps you keep going when you've got some uh, support there around you. So, you know, uh, but, you know, we're, we're all fairly you know organized people and we all we all came along with you know i had way more, more um fluids uh, in the car than i needed in terms of water yeah uh, i had just about the right amount of food um so uh, but you know it, it's it's just you know someone being able to refill a bidon for you when you're sitting down instead of doing that yourself you know all goes towards helping reduce the the stress load that you go through during the day. Yeah, you know, that's and nice. the other thing that we're doing is 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 because you know uh, the weather was was a little changeable during the day, um, even though it's pretty much perfect conditions for Everesting. You know, they were able to keep an eye on the weather, let us know how we're doing, and because even though we started out riding together um, over the course of the day, you know, you start to drift apart on the hill. Yep. And, you know, being able to speak to people at the top who can let you know how everyone else is doing, um, you know, so you know, that, 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 that sort of um, helped keep, keep the team together, even though we may have been a little bit spread out towards the end, I guess. Yeah, that, that does seem like a natural thing you have to accept is there's a point where it's so hard that everyone has to go at their own pace yep. just to be successful because even going a little harder or a little easier can be enough to yeah. kind of kill your own mojo. Yeah, I mean we're all we're all similar riders, and I think you know we've all got FTPs around two ninety, three hundred. You know, uh, one of the guys is ten years younger, um, but you know we all have radically different gearing setups on the bikes. So, well, you know, and, you know, give me an example of your uh, lifestyle. In fact, you mentioned that ten years younger. So, how old are you, and what does your day to day work 
uh, and kind of lifestyle look like? Because of course, the biggest excuse for not ever pushing yourself in this way will be yeah. age, it will be work, it will be family, yada, yada. So give me the breakdown. Yeah. Like, how old are you? Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm 54. Um, I guess I took up cycling in my early, I mean, I could ride a bike, but I took up cycling, cycling, if you know what I mean, in my early 30s. Um, and that was mostly mountain biking, um, not extreme downhill, more cross country um, kind of things. Um, yeah. But I, I sort of quit that, I guess, when I was about uh, late 30s, because I was just falling off so much and I was getting injured. And I, I really lost my bottle on mountain biking. And mountain biking is about maintaining speed to maintain your balance, right? And if you don't, if you don't have that confidence, you're going to fall more. And I, I just lost the ability to keep the thing up, right? Mm. So I, I took up road cycling um, and quickly fell in love with long distance and you know climbing, you know, just epic days on the bike. Not very interested in racing. It's, I just like sort of go out there and you know explore the roads, you know, find a nice mountain to to cycle hill. I've only got hills where I live. Yeah, um, yeah, but you know, you, you you find it. You know, anything that's new, you know, is good. So, so yeah. Um, so I've I, you know, I've been cycling for quite a long time, but uh, I'm, I'm 54 now, and I I find that what I want to do on the bike is a lot more. Um, adventurous or hardcore than what I would considered would have considered doing, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. You know, I used to, I've ridden a few uh, bicycle tours of Colorado, which are like six day, you know, uh, uh, events where it's, it's, it's non-competitive riding in the Rockies. And I used to think they were pretty hardcore. And uh, I did, you know, did as much climbing in one day Everesting as you do on a six day tour of the Colorado, you know, so yeah, um, I, that's that's the kind of thing I like. So, I think it's when you get into it that you 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 push your boundaries more and more. Uh, but the one thing you you learn to do, I think, as you get older, is that your recovery and nutrition uh, becomes much more critical than just the hours you put on the bike, which is you know, what I did when I was younger is you just get on and ride, on, never yeah. used to stretch for a single minute, never used to think about nutrition. And that's complete opposite now that as I try to have a complete balance between rest, nutrition, recovery, and the training, you know? Yeah. So what are you doing for day to day for work? So, um, I've, I've, I've got a pure office based job that, that in a normal world would require a, quite a bit of international travel. So I've, yeah. I've worked in the oil and gas business for over 30 years. Yeah. Uh, my job is meant to be in London, so I should be commuting to London on a daily basis. But oh, wow. uh, COVID, that hasn't happened for you know uh, 15 months or so. So uh, from that point of view, uh, it's actually made training so much easier because I've got a you know got my pain cave set up and I can just get on the trainer and you know commit to that completely and then you know go out and do. You know, so I'll do, I'll do three three tr uh, sessions a week on the on the trainer, and then I'll supplement that with an endurance outdoor ride um, awesome. for most yeah. of the year. In the winter, if I'll, I'll do four sessions indoor and just won't go out at all because I'm I'm a bit of a fair weather rider. So, <laughs> well, I will say fair weather rider for someone who lives in England is not even close to a fair weather rider who lives in California. 
because I know people that will, yeah. yeah, I mean, you could only imagine. And so yeah. you use trainer road during the week. You have a longer endurance yep. ride, uh, typically through the week. I have checked your Strava and you've been riding consistently since your Everest, which I love. Um, yeah. but what are you also doing for strength training? Because I know you've gone through a couple rounds of a program and yeah. that's been something that you've implemented. Has it been a full year now that you've been no, no, without health? Um, no, it, it's very so. So um, I think, I think, so what was we, so in 20, beginning of 2017, I, when I started doing what I considered to be quite serious volume with Trainer Road, um, I noticed that, you know, I was, I was constantly aching and um, I took up yoga as a sort of a, as a, as a way to increase my flexibility and increase my uh, recovery. And I've, I've maintained that pretty religiously uh, since then, yes. um, especially yin yoga, which is my, I'll do a 30 minute yin yoga stretch after any ride of any, any intensity whatsoever. Um, but that, that helps my muscles recover. But what, what it doesn't really do for me is work on, uh, core and stability to a level which means that when I'm on a bike I feel comfortable and I'm not fighting it and then ending up with you know, those shoulder pains and lower back pains yeah. um, that you get so and you know and, and the trainer road guys you know are fairly evangelical and consistent about the need to do strength training and I was I was kind of listening to them and right before lockdown um, I saw a, a cycling um, personal trainer in London uh, near the office where I was working and he did a physical assessment and, you know, looked at me and, and said, you know, I had one, I had no glute activation whatsoever on, on any of the sort of uh, uh, assessments that he did. So, mm. um, and then I was going to see him regularly for a couple of times a week and then lockdown came and I've, I've, I've never seen never seen the guy since, you know, so yeah. I had a few, a few sort of glute activation exercises that I was doing. Um, but it was, that was purely it, but, uh, it, it was the sort of realization that there was so much more I could be doing. And with the latest lockdown ending and gyms reopening, um, I, I sort of wanted to give the strength training a shot. Um, and, and by pure coincidence, you did the successful athletes podcast, I think in March with trainer road. Oh, perfect. And, and I listened to that and then I thought, well, I, you know, I can just, you know, try, try out your program for, a, for a, a few months. And I think I, I was doing the, uh, no equipment core for a couple of weeks before the gyms reopened here. And then once the gyms reopened, um, we had some communication and you recommended the off-season enduro to get started with. So I managed to do eight full weeks of that with, so that's, which is two workouts a week, um, along with two sessions. I carried on doing the no equipment uh, core workout at home. So I was doing oh, wow. four of yours a week for the two months before the Everesting. And, but it, it was, it, it was kind of noticeable I guess within a month in terms of how I felt on the bike, uh, but also my ability to, um, you know, accomplish some of the exercises you, you sort of prescribed, you know, a, a few of them I'm, I'm sure I don't do, uh, with perfect form factor, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, my, you know, I've, 
I, I was concerned because my right knee, I've got, I've only got 25% of the ACL left in that. Um, I've previously completely ruptured the Achilles tendon in that leg. So it's my kind of dodgy leg. And mm. I'm, I've always been very cautious about doing any single leg exercises on that leg. Um, but my, uh, I've gained a lot of confidence and I think I've gained a lot of uh, strength and stability on it through the program that obviously, you know, filters through to my ability to perform on a bicycle as well in terms of the, uh, the overall uh, performance. So, That's yeah, I, I, I think, I think I sort of, I picked up a lot, you know, my, and, you know, I, I've got, I've got another three months till my next planned event, which will be a, an 11 day event in the Canary Islands. Um, and I'm just going to carry on with what I consider to be a successful formula um, that I know my body can tolerate in terms of training load uh, yeah. through to that. Event, you know. So I want to get into that next event because obviously what's next after an Everesting thing is a big conversation. Yeah. But I also want to just highlight what you mentioned about implementing the strength training, even after you had consistently done yoga, because I'm someone who has done a lot of yoga over the years. I love it. I see the benefits like you see. However, yeah. it's become so difficult as I've upped my riding volume personally to mm -hmm. segment another separate workout for yoga only. And that's why so many of my workouts include the mobility that it yeah. even mid. I mean, yeah, I, I notice a lot, a lot of your, you know, uh, uh, exercises, uh, either inspired by certain yoga yep. uh, poses or or vice versa i guess that the yoga can pick up from from uh, from some uh, uh, personal training uh, programs um, and I, I I do love yoga i mean i I use yoga as a recovery method i do did do some yoga you know more more active yoga. But when I was doing that, you know, and that in involves some core and stability, um, it, it was not delivering, you know, any kind of uh, material difference in my performance. You know, I still felt okay. like you know, I had the core strength of wet spaghetti, really. You know, I could <laughs> barely do a sit up. You know, my ability to do any kind of push ups was, was non existent. So um, even though I love yoga, um, you know, it's, it's finding, I, I didn't find a, a yoga that, that did what the, the core workouts uh, and strength training were doing for me through your program. Yeah. Um, and that was mainly, was that stability that you mentioned on the bike, less back pain, less shoulder pain? Are those the things you noticed after a month? Yeah. Yeah. Th there's that. And, you know, like, like any good road cyclist, you know, I've got shaved legs, you know, so, you know, and you notice your muscle definitions that there are some weird little muscles I've got down on my lower legs that I, I'd never had before. Oh yeah. That's a Especially when you're doing, you know, single leg uh, stability exercise, you see those little suckers trigger, you know, and you yeah. think like, okay, it's good. And, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I think just listening to someone consistently tell me to do it enough times got me eventually to do it, you know, and it's, it, and it's with, with hindsight, I, I really regret the fact that I didn't do it, you know, at the beginning of the lockdown or five years ago, you know, yeah. because I, I, I appreciate that it would have made me a significantly better rider. I mean, you know, yeah, I may have put on, I think maybe a kilo of, of, uh, of lean muscle mass, 
but I think, uh, which is what all anyone who's doing, you know, you know, a cyclist who likes going up hills is paranoid about their weight. Right. But um, it's, you know, I'm a 50 year old, 54 year old guy. I, I do not have a perfect body composition and I never really have had. Uh, but it, the, the offset of, of putting on a bit of lean muscle to what it means in terms of performance uh, yeah. and your ability to maintain that performance over a long period of time just far, far outweighs uh, the downside of putting on a bit of lean muscle. I, I love that. I need to just highlight that soundbite and use it over and over again because it is so true. And I got to really applaud you because although you didn't start earlier, like maybe now you wish you would have the yeah. fact that you, you know, at 54 decided to implement something new to improve your performance and just yeah. keep that mindset of start moving forward yeah. uh, it is so incredible. And I, uh, I think it's an example for, for really anyone, no matter what age they are to take action now. And because you can see those results, like you said, I mean, shoot, you put on like a kilo of muscle mass, you feel stronger, the bike rides are more comfortable. So thank you so much for just being an example to the Dow fam in that way. And, and now yeah. I got to ask, so you have this Canary Islands event. This is the next thing for you. Um, yep. Give me a rundown on what that's going to involve and then we'll kind of wrap it up. So it, it's a, uh... There's a company in the Canaries called Tenerife Bike Training who I've done a lot of uh, cycle trips out in Canary Islands because Canary Islands is just a fantastic place to ride. You know, uh, it's, it's why all the proteins go out there to train, right? You know, you can you can do sea level to 2,200 meters without without you know you know any any break. It's it's not quite Haleakala, but it's it's pretty damn close. You know, yeah. In terms of uh, the quality of the riding out there, um, and they're they're doing a one-off one-off event where they you know, where they're going to, uh, you get to ride each of the eight islands. A couple of the islands are really small, but some of the islands are really quite big to circumnavigate, you know, you'll be doing. So it will be 120 to 180 kilometers a day. Um, and with lots of up basically. And that that's 11 days riding. Do you know what the totals uh, are for mileage and vert, or it could be kilometers and meters. Do you know the totals for the 11 days? Um, well, I guess, I guess it's going to be, you know, between one and a half and 2000 kilometers in total. Um, you know, and a, and a typical climbing day out there is going to be, I would say between five and 10,000 feet. You know? Wow. That is, that is savage. And, uh, are you going to have protein massage and, and chef and everything in between, in between these stages? No, well, no, because you know it, the, the thing with these multi-day events is is you, you you kind of push for time. So and and because because you, you're riding eight different islands, there's a lot of transport transfer, you know, to get from island to island, which is either going to be by ferry or by by plane. So you know the it, it's not like being in a centre-based trip where you know you can just you know have have a sort of a, a soigneur there to you know take care of you at the end of the day uh th this one's going to be a bit more um bit more challenging with your ability to you know you may finish a ride eat and then you may be you know on a ferry you know trying to get to the next island for the next day to start riding so it's gonna it's not it's not a not one where you've got the ability to be pampered 
uh, very much. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully you can get some big meals in between and the stomach stays solid for the 11 days. And yeah. I wish you the best, man. I'll be following your Strava. And my recommendation for you is that just stay on that mobility, keep up some activation yep. every night to the glutes and the low abs and the shoulders. And I think you'll have a lot of success out there. So thank you for doing this today. Um, yeah, I know it's going to help the Dow fam a ton and uh, just the in inspiration alone uh, for what you've accomplished. So we really appreciate it. Sure. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. I hope you guys found that interview as inspiring as I did. It was so cool learning about David's story with that and how he implemented strength training. And another reminder that when I get to know more and more Dowd fam members, uh, the, the ones I don't know at least, it, it's like everyone is is so like-minded and cool. And it, it's again, it's that stepbrothers thing where <laughs> you start talking to them and you're like, did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> like that's how it feels all the time you know i could have after the conversation actually david and i went on to just casually talk and he's just a great dude and uh there's so many awesome people in the dolphin men men and women alike that uh, i connect with and i'm like gosh i'm just so stoked on this community and i'm excited to continue to connect people more and more in the future because i know it's going to be really valuable for everyone because uh you guys are going to love each other <laughs> so we have plans for that um, but it was just another cool reminder of it um and i wanted to follow up by the way for the Dowd fam and let you know what's going on back in on the website. You know, honestly, last week I was pretty vocal about the fact that I was uh, worried about the subscriptions on the website. Uh, I was seeing a downward trend and I wasn't sure what was going on. Uh, but I'll tell you, last week, especially, you know, I was getting after it during that recording, but I went so hard last week and it was not only really good feeling in the sense of like, I, knowing I did everything I could to push the business forward, uh, which I haven't had since the twins were born. I've kind of missed it. Um, but I was able to get some positive feedback and results from that and actually stop the decline and turn it around and we're back on the incline, uh, even coming into this week. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, when you have stuff going wrong with business specifically, and I, I think this does carry into other areas of life, it's hard to start turning things around because you have to do all the hard work when the results won't be shown. You have to push so hard with the best intentions, knowing you're doing the right thing, even though you're still getting negative feedback because you have to, you're like still on the decline. And throughout the first, well, honestly, the majority of last week before I saw, saw the change in the numbers, uh, that's exactly how I felt, but I really made some moves that were, uh, I don't want to say like hard decisions, but like <laughs> I, I, I felt like I did my job as an owner um, and did what I needed to do to keep pushing things forward. And that felt really good. So um, yeah, happy to say that that's turned around and we're just going to keep that that fear in in my brain as we move forward and push on toward this thousand member goal. Uh, which we really want to get to by the end of the year. And I think we can do it in, uh, honestly, like Q3. So uh, we'll see. I'll keep you updated. If you could please refer your family, your friends, uh, your riding partners, buddies, uh, whomever to Dialed Health and, uh, and get them on strength training and a part of the program, uh, it would just be a real, real, uh, really appreciated by me, <laughs> to be honest. Like, um, you know, gosh, man, I, I can't wait for this thing to blow up. Uh, I'm kind of like daydreaming right now. I'm I'm literally just <laughs> sitting at home in my underwear, recording a podcast, thinking about how uh, you know 
big I want this business to be. Uh, not for the sake of just having a big business, but really for the sake of impact. You know, like David's story over and over and over again. And the way that that, you know, uh, snowballs into the rest of the world and impacts the people around you is huge. Like we can do so much together uh, when we keep uh, kind of pushing. So uh, let's keep it up, you guys. Start moving forward. I hope you have an incredible week and I want to thank you for all the support. And uh, that's pretty much it. Um, I'll see you next Wednesday.